As we started our series in Daniel all those weeks ago, we, we started thinking about the reality of living life against the flow of the river, the flow of culture. God has called us as exiles to live in Gothenburg, um, and this is our home, but this isn't really our home. And we live with that tension of, yeah, this is our home, but it's not really our home. And how do we live with the reality of that, or in the flow of the river, as the river flows down? How do we live uh, in, in Gothenburg, knowing this is our home, but it's not really our home? How do we swim against the currents of culture? How do we sometimes go with the culture and the climate of the culture? And as we, as we conclude our series today, uh, we, uh, we, we meet Daniel standing beside a river. So the river Tigris, and he's standing where we begun our series, by a river, by a powerful river. Most likely where he was standing was about a mile, one and a half kilometers in width. And it would have been this powerful mass of water, constantly twisting and turning, kind of going fast and then slowing down, ebbing and flowing. And rivers are a theme that many ancient writers pick up. And they, they use them as a metaphor to express the flow of the rise and fall of nations. That a nation will rise and then fall as a river goes powerful, then goes quiet. Goes powerful as more water comes in and goes calm. And you can imagine Daniel standing there by the river, by this incredibly powerful, wide river, thinking, questioning. A lifetime, he'd have been around the age of 80, something like that. A lifetime of faithful service to God. A lifetime of seeing God's purposes worked out. Seeing God's faithfulness, yet still so many questions. Thinking, where was the Tigris going? Where was history going? Where was his nation going? Now, some of his people have headed back to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the walls that we read about in Ezra and Nehemiah of Jerusalem. But what, what is God doing? How does God really work amongst all this chaos as he's looking out over the river Tigris? And as we've seen, and as he has seen over the weeks, the providence of God at work as nations rise and fall, as, as kings rise and fall, we've seen God working out his plans, working out his purposes in the river, if you like. And what I want us to do today is to notice how the river flow works out on two levels, how God's plans work out on two levels. One, humanly, the world that we see, and secondly, the world that we don't see. So almost, if you like, the surface of the river, what we see, and everything under the river, the rocks and everything else that affects the current and, and whatever else that we don't see. If you've got your Bibles, we are going to, as I said, start in 10 of, uh, chapter 10 of Daniel. I think I'm reading the NIV. And, apologies, but I didn't have time to put a slide together. So you actually have to get your Bibles out. And I can't go. It's going to appear behind me because it's not. So get your phones out, your Bibles. Uh, I had a beer with 
Fundu the other day, and we said we both really like an actual Bible, and then I went and forgot my actual Bible, so, and you have as well. <laughs> Terrible. Uh, okay, so chapter 10 of Daniel. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel, who was called Belteshazzar. Its message was true, and it concerned a great war. So already at the beginning here, we have a a clue into the reality of this message. It's true. He needs to say it's true because it's so unlikely. He's like, no, this is true. What is happening here? Uh, uh, the understanding of the message came to me, him, in a vision. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all for the skin uh, until the three weeks were over. So here, straight away, we have like level one. We have the top of the river, the things that we can see. We see Daniel, and what we see is that his heart is broken, most likely for the reality of Jerusalem and God's people, his people. And with his heart being broken, it moves him in to action. And again, notice, for those that have been around for a while, the humanity of Daniel. This is a guy who had seen a lifetime of God's providence. We can't disagree with that. He's seeing God work in incredible ways. God bring incredibly powerful rulers to their knees. He's had revelations. He's, he's seen it all, yet here by the river, he's confused. And he's mourning by the twists and the turns of the river of God's purposes, of his nation that is once again in a bad place. And it becomes too much. So he mourns. And notice he doesn't mourn about himself. He's mourning about his people. He's mourning about others. The compassion of Daniel. He fasts. He prays. He, he doesn't use any lotion to look after his skin. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz. Okay, we all know what topaz is, right? Continue reading. Topaz, gold, orange, um, or green. It looked like gold, we can say. His face was like lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs, the gleam of burnished bronze. And his voice, the sound of a multitude. I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see it. But such terror overwhelmed them that they fled, fled and hid themselves. So I was left alone, gazing at the great vision. I had no strength left, my face turned deathly pale, and I was helpless. Then I heard him speaking, and as I listened to him, I fell into a deep sleep, my face to the ground. It's in this place of mourning and fasting that he meets this incredibly powerful looking man, a man dressed in linen, whose face was like lightning, whose eyes were like flaming torches, whose voice was like a multitude. And these descriptions that we read here in Daniel, we can also read in Ezekiel, and we can also read at the beginning of Revelation, as people come face to face with Jesus. And there's this incredibly powerful 
moment that Ezekiel, happens to Ezekiel, happens to John, and happens to Daniel as they come face to face to Jesus. Now, most commentators would say this is Jesus. Some would say it's an angel, but through the description, you'd say it's most likely Jesus. And what he does in his response is he falls down into a deep sleep, his face to the ground as he comes to Jesus, and he sees who he is. A hand touched me and said, sets me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you and stand up, for I have now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. Then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I've come in response to them. And I want us to listen carefully here, verse 13. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. This is one of those times that as you're going through your Bible reading, you kind of skip by and you continue reading. If you read it slowly and see what is said in verse 13, you're like, what? The prince of Persia stopped this angel getting to Daniel. Like, kind of, what's going on there? And here we have the reality of what's going on below the surface of the river, the world that we do not see. You see, this is an angel speaking, angel Gabriel, and he had heard Daniel's prayers right when he starts to pray, all those weeks ago, 21 days, three weeks ago, and he tries to come but he is stopped by the prince of Persia, which must be some sort of spiritual being, because who else is going to be able to stop the angel Gabriel? And he's so powerful that, in fact, the angel Gabriel needs to call the angel Michael, his mate, to come and help him so that he can get past the king of Persia. And what we see here is the reality of the spiritual world. And it's really important that as we land this series, we need to understand this. I Kind of as I was preparing chapter 10, chapter 11, chapter 12, I was like, oh, do we actually go to 3 o'clock? No, we don't. Don't worry. And you can all breathe out. Actually, what I really felt God speak to me about is this reality that there's the world that we see and there's something going on that we don't see as well. The reality of the spiritual world. And friends, it is real. There are good angels, Gabriel, Michael, and there are evil angels, the prince of Persia. We're not going to read it, but just a few verses later, you can read it. Uh, he says after he's finished talking to Daniel, he's like, right, and now I'm off to battle with the prince of Greece. And so there's something that's happening behind the scenes, as we see kingdoms rising and falling, kings rising and falling, things happening, things not happening, there's something happening behind the scene. And the advance of God's purposes is happening on two levels. It's happening on the level of Daniel, and it's happening on the level of spiritual warfare, both angels and believers. And it's in this example it, it seems that there are specific spiritual beings over specific geographical areas 
of land, having a specific amount of authority. I don't know if uh, you remember when you were young, uh, watching a program called Gladiators. I'm from the UK. Becky remembers. Gladiators, are you ready? And uh, gladiators were these really strong men and women, and they came up against the challengers, who were actually also really strong. And, and, and the point was to beat the gladiators. I used to live next to a gladiator, claim to fame. Wolf, if anyone's interested. Wolf. You're from Brighton, aren't you, I've heard. Similar, South England. Uh, and, yeah, completely lost what I was going to say. <laughs> Just in awe of living next to a gladiator. Oh, wow. Uh, no, and... <laughs> And there was this one um, like activity that was called the gauntlet, where was, you, know, you had to run as a challenger through five different stages of gladiators. One with like, I don't know, like a, bar, like a soft bar, and one with like massive boxing gloves kind of thing. And like different, they all had their own thing to stop this challenger getting from one end to the other. But the interesting thing was they all had their own limited area of authority. So you ran, and then you got past Wolf, and then he had to stop at a line, and you went on to the next one, and some challengers just whoosh, ran through it all. Others got stopped right at the beginning and pushed out of the wall, and then ah, they got no points, I think. But this reminds me a little bit here of, of that program where it seems to be that there's some, some beings, spiritual beings, that have authority over a certain bit of land, that they've been given authority Okay, get your head around that, over a certain bit of land. And as we go through chapter 11, what we see is just, again, it's the same as chapter 8, where we see this incredible prophetic unveiling of what is going to happen in the, into the future, into Daniel's future, into our history. And we see Alexander the Great, and we see these two empires coming off the back of Alexander the Great as he dies young, and then we see Antiochus born. And, and you just read this, chapter 11, and you just see this is incredible. And many people would say Daniel was written after these events because he is so accurate in predicting what, is, what has happened. And the historical annuals will confirm what Daniel was told by these angels in chapter 11. We trust that Daniel was written before these events and that God reveals what is going to happen to him by angels because we trust in a God of history and a God who is outside of time and a God who reveals. So as we read, or we're not going to read, but as you look through chapter 11 and you see again these rise and falls, Alexander the Great, then the next Greek, Greek empires, Antiochus, and these, these rise and falls of empires, and eventually we're introduced to a king that is known as the Antichrist, and again, we're not sure most people would say, commentators would say, he hasn't yet come, and there'll be a great time of persecution ahead at some point, but, but whatever, however we interpret that, what we see is that chapter 11 and the rise and falls of nations is the practical outworking of spiritual realities. We see Alexander the Great, we see empires, rise and fall, we see this and that. What we don't see is what is going on behind. And it's interesting, just to notice, and that's all I will say, how the, uh, how the angel starts off with the Prince of Persia. So the Persian Empire 
was first, and then the Greek Empire comes afterwards, and the angel goes from the Prince of Persia to the Prince of Greece. And so read into that what you want, but it seems that he's going in order. Now, we don't want to get hung up on this. We don't want to become a church that's like looking at kind of under everything and going up to the high place and praying over the city, but it is important to know the reality of the world that we live in. And it's important to recognize it, that we see the surface of the river, but there's also something going on under the river. Paul says in Ephesians 6 that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Right? So that person at, down your street or whatever who's constantly on at you about your belief in God, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That's not your enemy. God calls us, Jesus calls us to love our neighbor. But we wrestle against powers and spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. Therefore, Paul says, put on the full armor of God. Knowing our enemy, knowing what we wrestle against, produces what we need to do. It tells us what we need to do. I ran the uh, Gothenburg Half Marathon seven years ago, something like that. And for about two years afterwards, I was limping, like a really long time. And I'd hurt my hamstring. And so what, I'd, what I was doing was I was stretching my hamstring. Yeah, I was, I assume, supporting my hamstring. I stretched my hamstring. I then coughed up the 100 crowns that it costs to go to the physio. <sighs> Saved up. Incredible price, by the way. If anyone's got anything wrong with their body, go to the physio for 100 crowns. It's amazing. And the guy said... What have you been doing? And I said, well, I've got a problem here. I've been stretching my hamstring. And he said, no, you're, you're stretching the complete wrong place. You need to strengthen your glutes. So I started strengthening my glutes. And within weeks, my problem had significantly improved. Uh, as we understand who we are up against, it will help us to effectively respond. If we think we're up against our neighbor then we're going to respond in a really negative way to our neighbor. Jesus calls us to love our neighbor. But if we understand there's something behind, there's spiritual realities, our wrestle is not against flesh and blood. He doesn't say it's not only against flesh and blood, it's also against, he says it's not against flesh and blood, but it's against the spiritual forces, it's against the powers. And as we understand that, it helps us know how we can effectively respond. We start working the right muscles. And I want to just briefly pull out three things uh, from these chapters on how we can effectively respond. And the first one is to have the right view of Jesus. And we did it so well. I just want to... Uh, like, uh, uh, Albin's song choice today just lifted our eyes to Jesus, right? And isn't it amazing? As we look to Jesus, as we have the right view of Jesus, doesn't everything else just kind of pale? You kind of forget. And I think, well done, Albin. Just want to honor you. It's such a good choice in choosing the songs. And we need to, friends, have the right view, not just on a Sunday morning time of worship, but we need to have the right view of Jesus. Philippians 2, Paul says this, God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven, spiritual realities, on earth, 
on the surface, under the surface, and under the earth. Daniel, as he meets Jesus, most likely Jesus in this vision, is overawed as Jesus is revealed to him. And friends, we must be overawed by who Jesus is. We must see him for who he is. He's high and exalted. He has won. We spoke about this in a few weeks ago, uh, Daniel 7 perhaps, about the God, God's judgment. Uh, and we said, Jesus is our friend, but he is not our mate. If you get the difference, we must be in awe of Jesus. The voice that sounds like a multitude, eyes of flames. This is a powerful, powerful picture of who Jesus is. And his name is above every name. The Prince of Persia, the Prince of Greece, any other name. His name is higher. His name is higher. That is Jesus. And friends, as we live life, we must have the right view of who Jesus is. We must not box Jesus into like a small Jesus fit in our pocket. He can do everything. He is high above. He has been given all authority by the Father. And we learned about this actually, didn't we? Um, Al spoke about this. As he's received authority, he says to us, go in my authority. You now have received authority because I've received authority. Go and make disciples. So let's understand who Jesus is. Let's get the right view. And so over this summer, as we meet in the park, but as lots of things for church kind of like slowly shut down for a while, I want to encourage you, enjoy Jesus. Like get to know him better. It's very tempting, isn't it, to read sort of like the top, I don't know, books on sort of like topics and things like that. Great, that's good. But as long as that heart, head knowledge becomes heart knowledge, Look to Jesus. Get a book about who Jesus is. He is wonderful, and he is in all authority. Second thing is, uh, yeah, to release the power of prayer and fasting. Check out verse 12 of chapter 10. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. Okay, so Daniel's prayer was heard. And I have come in response to them. I wonder if you're struggling with your prayer life at the moment. Let that verse do something in your soul. I have come in response to them. Daniel prays and heaven moves. That is prayer. I have come because of your words. If you need any encouragement at all, to pray. You can listen to Alex preach, which was brilliant last week on prayer, or you can just read verse 13. Daniel prays, and as a result, angel Gabriel arrives. And Ephesians 6 as well, in the context of um, having a battle in the heavenly places, not wrestling against flesh and blood, it's one of the things Paul says, put on the armor of God. And then he says, pray in the spirit. So prayer is such a valuable and important weapon that we have in the battle as we live for Jesus. And so understand that, that prayer is powerful. Sometimes, I'm just going to confess, I can find prayer a little bit boring. I can find it a little bit dry. I can fall asleep. Don't tell Nina. (laughs) But actually... When we look at this, we, we've got to get a new perspective of the power of prayer. And as we come into the new season after summer, we're really going to focus on prayer. It's fascinating. Uh, 
looking at the early church and the early apostles, the early church leaders, and this church is growing and growing, and they're kind of too busy. And you're like, okay, well, what do they do? Do they work even harder? Do they stay up later? Go kind of, you know, get up earlier? What do they do? Well, actually, what they do is they, they, they gather some other people to serve the tables so that they can pray. They don't start doing more. They, they delegate and respond, but they pray. I think it's fascinating, isn't it? How often when we get busy do we start like, just getting busy and doing things? Actually, the apostles' mind was very different. The leaders of the church, they were like, no, we're super busy. We need someone to do that, but we're going to pray. They understood the importance of prayer. And church, we really need to understand the importance of prayer. If we want to see things open, we see things change, if we want to see doors that are shut open, if you want to see more legs healed, ankles healed, amazing testimony, we've got to understand the power of prayer. We've got to step out and go for it. Why not? And also, not just prayer, but fasting. And so this is something that we really don't talk much about. Fasting. But here we've got Daniel. He doesn't drink wine, doesn't eat meat, and stops moisturizing. (laughs) I've done one of those three. (laughs) Got to get meat and wine, and then I'm fine. But actually, we've got to understand the reality of, of fasting and that there's, there's, there's power in it. Daniel is serious about what he sees. He mourns because of the realities, and that moves him into action, prayer, and fasting. He earnestly comes to God, and he's willing to give up things, meat, wine, lotion, so that he can... Say to God and demonstrate, this is my heart for my people. God, move. This is moving me. Will you move? And Nina and I have fasted uh, intermittently uh, just before COVID, and we were doing it once a week. And it was actually quite amazing just to share a bit of testimony, to see the things that were happening in our lives, but also in the lives of the church. There was, clear, there was a clear link between our prayer and fasting days and seeing God move. It's fascinating. And we haven't for a while. In fact, I've thought about it, and I've been like, oh, but it's steak tomorrow. I'm not going to fast tomorrow. And actually, like, that, that's completely true. But like, it's, what, what are we more bothered by? Like our, the steak that we're going to eat the next day, or the nice meal that we're going to do, or the nice glass of wine, or the kingdom of God? What really affects us? Actually, it, fasting, it, it says something to God. It says, no, I'm serious. I'm willing to give up my Friday steak night and my nice glass of wine, for your kingdom's purposes, for what you want to do in this beautiful city. Prayer and fast, something we're going to talk about and look at more after summer. But eat up over the summer because you're going hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then finally, future hope. Um, As we land uh, this preach, this this book, uh, this series that we've looked at, Uh, We leave Daniel in a very human place. Very human place. He's just had this amazing experience, right? He's had angels. He's he's witnessing an angelic conversation. There's angels talking to him, and that's just them. If you kind of go back over his life, he has seen some stuff. He's seen friends or heard of friends walking through furnaces and not even smelling of smoke. He's seen the lion's mouths shut overnight. He's seen kings come 
and kings go, three kings. The second one, literally, the day as he interprets the writing on the wall, the next day, that king is no more. He has seen some incredible stuff. He's heard about the prince of Persia. He's heard about the prince of Greece. Yet he still writes in verse 8, I did not understand. There were still things for him that were just too much. Confusing. Numbers and all sorts. And he, we land by the river like Daniel. Having seen some things, praying for more things. And we're questioning and we're thinking. And we can end up more confused about the book of Daniel, about our life, about what God is doing in our lives. Why did God do that? Why didn't he do that? And we can say, like, Daniel, I just don't understand. I've seen some good stuff happen, God. I've seen you heal Whirlin's ankle. Why didn't you heal my ankle? I just don't understand. And we land just like Daniel, and that's an okay place to be. I don't understand all these crazy things that is happening, that you're happening. I don't really understand the Prince of Persia. I don't understand. But there's one thing as we stand by the river that is completely clear. And that is our future hope. And this is absolutely clear and guaranteed. So as we question, as we wonder, as we stand by the Tigris and look at the flow, and it's kind of going like this, we're like, oh, what's going on, God? This is what it says in chapter 12 and verse 13. As for you, this is an angel, uh, the angel Gabriel talking to, uh, to Daniel. As for you, Go your way till the end. You will rest, and then at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. It's kind of like saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, Daniel. You've been through a lot. Go and have a rest. And then one day, at the end of the days, you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. There is a allotted inheritance for Daniel. This is one of the clearest moments in the Old Testament where we hear about the resurrection. Allotted inheritance. Kind of the, 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 the angel says to Daniel, it's kind of, that, that's your lot for now. Go and have a rest. But one day, one day your mourning will turn to dancing. One day everything that you have lived through, the ups and the downs, the rises and the falls, will be just a memory, distant memory, as you receive your allotted inheritance. What a beautiful hope we have. We can have many questions. We do have many questions. That's okay to have questions. Daniel had questions. Questions are okay. But what we don't need to question, for those that know Jesus, have been born, not of the body, not of the flesh, but of the spirit. We will receive an allotted inheritance. And it's beautiful. So as we finish this book, we land with the question that we started with. As exiles, how do we swim against the current? How do we swim against the current? And we've seen many, many great answers. Really have. If you've not completed the series, then go back. It's all online. It's all on our website. 
But the final words I want to say, (laughs) give the most encouragement into that question, how do we swim against the current? One day we we will stand in our allotted place. And that gives us incredible hope that when the current is hard, when the even there's wood and stone coming down in the river and it really hits us and it really hurts us, we fix our eyes on something that is secure, that has been won by, in, through Jesus, which is that our inheritance is secured. We will stand in our allotted place. Our mourning will turn in to dancing. So much for us to take away from this story. I want to encourage you Read Daniel again. Now we've kind of ticked it off, completed. Let's not move on from the book of Daniel. It is such a good book. It is so helpful. Why don't at some point over the summer, you just get some time, and it takes about half an hour to, uh, uh, to read through the book. So just do that and, and enjoy it. It's an absolutely amazing story. So much to take. But if there is one thing, one day he, Daniel, and we shall stand in our allotted place. We will stand next, next to Daniel and we will see Jesus as Daniel saw him by the river. We will, like Daniel, fall down and we will worship. And we have an incredible privilege that we get to do that. We get this glimpse of heaven, of our future allotted place right now as we stand, as we fix our eyes upon Jesus, as we look to him as we worship him, as we fall down on our face, as we worship. And so I want to invite Albin up in the band. Uh, I want to encourage us to stand. And we are going to worship. We just, we, I finished a little bit early today. Uh, and the reason for that is we're just going to have a time of worship. It's such a good time of worship before, uh, before Fika. And we're just going to start where we left off, looking at Jesus, the King getting the right perspective of who Jesus